Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey gang, Red Hills Rancher, back for another weekly episode of Ranching Reboot. Riding with me as always is my wonderful and lovely co-pilot and navigator on this journey, C.K. Vishnuski. I got it right this time. And today, uh, we're joined by Danega Markegard from Markegard Family uh, Grass-Fed Beef out in California. So, let's just go ahead and roll right into it. How are things out in California for you? Oh, gosh. Well, it's beautiful and green now, um, but not for long. We were in a major drought. It's really dry and... um, you know, but you know what? We can't complain. We're out ranching in, in t-shirts along the Pacific Ocean and it's it's beautiful and and we're we're managing. So <laughs> we're so, resilient. So tell our listeners where you're at. Uh well we are um coastal coastal hills. Um the grassland is coastal terrace prairie. And uh, both north and south of uh, San Francisco Bay Area. Um, so we're our operation spans three counties: San Mateo, Sonoma, and uh, Marin counties. Okay. And uh, so tell me about your land base. That's probably not all deeded owned land, is it? Uh, no. So we um, we started uh, transitioning my husband's cow calf operation about 16 years ago. And uh, at the time uh, he was managing, managing large ranches for um, uh, Neil Young, the the musician. And um, prior to that, his dad um, had managed um, for Neil Young and uh, also Peter Folger from Folger's Coffee, who was sort of the cattle baron in the, in the San Francisco Bay area. Right. Um, a, A lot of people don't think, cattle in san francisco but uh, there's actually yeah yeah there's actually a lot of um you know really nice beautiful coastal hills and uh really prime for for raising cattle and we found for um grass-fed beef uh with the the coastal environment and the mediterranean climate um we can keep our animals out at pasture year round and um so yeah, about 16 years ago when um, my husband and I met, uh, you know, I sort of had brought a background of uh, wildlife ecology and um, and nature, and I just sort of said, hey, let's you know, let's let's direct market grass fed beef. You know, there's no reason why um, you should be selling your your cow your calves um, uh, to 
uh, to the auction to be finished in a feedlot eventually um, there, when there's a growing demand for uh, direct market, healthy, nutrient-dense foods. And uh, he said, yeah, let's do it. I don't have any skills um, to direct market meat, uh, but uh, let's go for it. So um, we've never turned back. And so, um, you know, at that time he was, he was managing ranches, but also leasing some for his own cattle. Um, and then we grew from leasing a thousand acres to now 11,000 acres. Um, and we don't own, uh, the, that ranch land. We lease all of it. Well, great. We'd like to hear a little bit more of your story about how you got started and started to develop, you know, contacts and a land base and built the business to where you're at today. The audience we're really trying to reach, and I think we're kind of getting there, is we're trying to reach those those people that are in the dense urban areas that over the last year, year and a half have really started to question where their food is coming from and and wanting to be a part of that. So can you maybe walk us through some of that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're kind of um, in a prime area for um, for having great relationships with uh, um, a consumer base that uh, is very educated, uh, wants to know um, that the decisions they're making uh, by feeding themselves and their families are um, not only helping their own health, but helping the environment, that the animals are treated well. So we're sort of in a prime market for, um, you know, direct marketing, grass-fed beef. And uh, so we really, uh, you know, look at that we're all eaters and we're all sort of in this together and it takes, it takes everyone, um, you know, it takes a village to uh, really support um, healthy, healthy lands, uh, healthy watersheds. So, you know, some of these, uh, some of these friends, uh, you know, they're not, I don't really separate, you know, them from us. It's like, you know, we're not, the, you know, the farmers and they're the consumers, it's more like we're just in this relationship together and we really depend on each other. So, um, you know, I've sort of shifted the way, you know, we think about like, oh, we're not just, you know, selling a product and trying mm-hmm. to get these consumers to purchase something. It's like, no, they're sort of partners in this with us. And, uh, that kind of goes back to where we started, uh, which was, um, you know, we started just selling shares of an animal. So you had to really, you know, you had to really buy in and commit. Um, And now we've, uh, you know, of course we've shifted as uh, we've grown larger and our, um, you know, those, those eaters that we're in relationship with um, have really shifted as well. It seems like, the more we are doing this, the younger they, the younger and more affluent they are getting, especially in this area. So, um, you know, when it when we first got into it, it was mostly older moms uh, wanting to feed their families, like kind of from the Weston A. Price tradition. And now we're just seeing a lot of millennials that are uh, working in tech. Uh, that, you know, are saying, hey, this is this is my connection to nature and this is my connection and way to sort of give give back. Um, It's almost like they're they're want 
wanting to source directly from the farmer or rancher because it, you know it's it's not just to feed themselves but it's also they're part of a larger movement of regenerative agriculture and it's an ex, it's a whole experience and uh they you know we have this membership program that uh we we just launched uh during covid because we just got overwhelmed oh yeah with, with orders and so we 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 kind of took a step back and said hey you know we've been doing this for a long time and we have really dedicated people that have stuck with us so and they also want to see us thrive so you know we started this whole new membership um which has been great for us and great for um being able to prior- prioritize those people that are really committed to um, sourcing from us. So, yeah. Oh, you're muted. I am muted. Sometimes I do that to myself. <laughs> so I'm interested in in, in that marketing, uh, the membership. How does that work? Um, yeah. So, you know, it's a diff- we've, we've gone through a whole gamut of different right. sort of CSAs. Um, so, you know, uh, I, in my teenage years, my summer, you know, some of my summer jobs or what I would do part-time was work at the organic farm up the road. I grew up in the Pacific Northwest in Washington state and uh, where the organic farming movement was really thriving in the, um, gosh, I guess this would be in the, in back in, back in the nineties. Um, and so, uh, you know, we were really sort of ahead of the curve for a lot of the rest of the country. So, um, I learned about that model of community supported agriculture and, uh, really, really believe strongly in that. Uh, so, you know, when we, we, we've gone through many different, um, uh, you know, renditions of that community supported agriculture. And really, uh, we've kind of landed at um, what, you know, what are people, what are people used to doing now um, that you sort of locks them in to something and, um, and really works for the business model that we're in. So what we've done is we're actually selling subscription memberships. So um, much like uh, if you were to download an app on wellness or meditation, you pay $10 a month and and you get access to certain things. So um, we charge a fee, a yearly subscription fee, and what that gives people is they get first pick at everything that comes back from the butcher. Um, we uh, we send them sort of regular updates. We 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 keep them involved, like by through storytelling. Mm-hmm. So um, you kind of like I I don't do we don't do a lot of we don't spend a lot of time and energy on marketing, but we do love to tell our story. Um, you know, we've never paid for an ad, um, you know, but we, we, we love to bring people out to the ranch, have them sort of verify what they're buying first person. 
And uh, we also love to tell our stories in many different forms. So we send them regular updates, kind of give them the inside scoop on what's going on on the ranch. Um, And then they, you know, they get members only sales and pricing on certain things. And we raise like the best pasture raised chicken (laughs) in the whole area that people just, I mean, they love it. And but we only raise a limited amount, so only members have access to that chicken. Um, so it's sort of like you get access for that. You you're sort of more part of the family, and it's a great way for us because um, it helps us to cover sort of those upfront costs mm-hmm. early in the season of all of the processing um, and and all of that. So so I'm really happy with it. You know, in that whole process, we did a whole overhaul of our um, online web shop um, and customized it so that we weren't paying a, a chunk a percentage to Squarespace um, or, you know, a Shopify would be a similar thing, but we actually were retaining that um, percentage and only paying that the credit card fee, which, which ends up being a lot if you're doing yeah, it a lot through, mm-hmm. through online um, outlets. A 3% so, adds up real fast. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, we have a great, great web web designer that just said, Hey, I'll, I'll do this and I'll customize it exactly how you want it. So again, a long time customer, you know, customer friend of ours, who's been buying from us for, for years and years. So, you know, there's, there's always people in the community to step up when, you know, when you need help with certain things or to shift your business model or, you know, really evolve because, that's what we found is what worked when we started 16 years ago, you know, it was not the same people that we're in relationship with now than we were 16 years ago. Yes. There's a small percentage that, you know, still have stuck with us, but overall human behavior shifts. And a lot of that has to do with, Um, the, you know, the way that people view the world, the way that people view, uh, what they value and also, um, what they, their behavior gets accustomed to. Um, it was sort of like, I fought online, you know, online, um, (laughs) web shops for a long time. And it's like, well, you know what, even if we don't, though we don't ship and we still don't ship, um, people are accustomed to shopping online. So if a rancher doesn't have an online presence and an online shop, you're really going to miss out on um, connecting to the people that are going to purchase from you. And, And that's really what it's about for us is connecting. And if that connection comes through, an online shop and beautiful pictures uh, because our shop is, you know, representative of who we are and our family. Um, Then that's really, we really need to meet people where they're, you know, what they're used to doing and their comfort zone and, and what their behavior is in, in the present moment. And it, you know, it. Someone that's used to going to the grocery store and looking at a cut of meat in the meat case is not going right. to want to come to the mo- not going to want to come to the farm and watch that animal get harvested on farm and broken up into you know 
brown paper wrap packages that they can take home. Yeah. So I, I'm getting the idea. I, I wrote down a question and I think you actually turned it completely around. I said, the question was, is how does your marketing tell the story of your outstanding stewardship? But I'm getting the idea that for the last 15 years, you've just been telling the story of your outstanding stewardship and the market has come to you. Right. That's amazing. Is, is, is that kind of, is that how you feel about it? Yeah. I mean, people have told me, wow, Doniger, you're, you're a really great marketer. It's like, I don't have a clue about marketing. <laughs> I, I don't, I've, I've never put any a, a attention or anything towards, like I said, we've never put an ad in the, you know, online or in the paper or anything like that. We've never quote unquote advertised our business. We've always just done what we've done, told our story. Um, you know, our ranch days pre-COVID were uh, so popular. People would just flock to come and have an authentic experience connecting with their their food. Um, so, so yeah, really what, it, it, about, what it's about for us is uh, regenerative agriculture is, is really not just about sort of the grass-fed beef is a byproduct of land stewardship and providing healthy habitat for billions of life forms from grassland birds to predators to, you know, healthy riparian areas to microbes in the soil. So um, that's really uh, where, where our passion lies is seeing this, the life on these prairie ecosystems that we steward really thriving and um and you know besides the sort of the eaters um that we're in relationship with um we also are in relationship with a lot of scientists and um groups like the Audubon Society and soil scientists and people that are really measuring these impacts um, so that, uh, you know, they can also help to tell our story. We like Autobahn. We like the Autobahn bird-friendly mm -hmm. beef program. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was. Yeah, they're great. It's good stuff. So I'd like to hear some more about the ranch days that you had pre-COVID and you know, we're also also got to circle back because you know, and, and talk about your land base some more and, and how you manage. But uh, so let's talk about some of your ranch days. Uh, yeah. So um, being that we are right over the hill from Silicon Valley, um, and we have sort of a very large population base to draw from. Uh, our ranch days got to the point where we had to cap them at a hundred people and we had to add in multiple tours wow. during the day to where we would get like 300 300 to 400 people with four different tours moving through the ranch on a single ranch day. And we would do these every month um, was sort of all that we could possibly manage. Um, and so and, and sometimes we had to turn people away because it was just too, too many. Um, so it would just, you know, families would come out, 
they would, uh, you know, we would, we would give, you know, offer them an opportunity to give a donation, which most people did. Um, and we would, uh, bring them around and just, show them the animals and how they were raised. And, you know, we would show them how we move the chickens every day and uh, show them the baby piglets and let them feed the pigs and, uh, you know, uh, walk them out to the cattle. And when we had a couple family milk cows, we would, you know, let them pet the milk cows and take pictures with the cows. And um, everybody just, they just loved it. And they loved learning. Um, They loved sort of hearing positive stories, <laughs> you know, I, I, I never wanted to focus on all of the challenges of agriculture, but more the beauty and uh, the hope and sort of the lifestyle of it, like that we get, we are really blessed to be able to work outside every day and work with our children Um, so it's like, if, if there was ever a question about like the challenge, you know, somebody from the audience asked a question about the challenges. And if I started to dive in far further, then sometimes we would get complaints. Like people just didn't want to hear that. You know, they didn't want to hear that on a nice Sunday afternoon when they were out with their kids. I mean, some people really did, but it was like, you know, let's table that conversation for a one-on-one thing. Um, so I, you know, I, I learned through giving these tours time and time again to really focus on that emotional hook of, um, you know, the potential and uh, the beauty and just some of the results that we're seeing on the ground with, uh, the wildlife and the birds and the soil. Um, and, and so people left, you know, feeling really good. And then they'd purchase a lot of meat at the end of the tour, um, or they'd sign up for the membership. Uh, and, you know, I still hear people today is like, I, you know, I signed up for your membership and I come and purchase from you at the farmer's market every week because I went to a ranch tour and it changed my life. And, you know, my kids still say that, you know, that's, that was the best day of their life (laughs) when they went, when they went on the ranch and it's like, Oh gosh, um, I feel kind of bad for the parents that (laughs) say, you know, it was like, it wasn't Disneyland (laughs) or the expensive vacation that was the best day of the kid's life. It was driving a half an hour and, you know, going to pet a milk cow and, and run right. around. And, and seeing the animals <laughs> that but sustain it's such us. it's a foreign thing to them, right? So it's such a novel, like, now they're connected to their food. So that impact is huge. That they actually know where it's been raised, how it's been raised by who, and they know that they're contributing to their local community. Yeah, absolutely. What's that thing I always say? Oh, yeah, shake the hand that feeds you. And I think that's, you know, that's a pretty, pretty important thing that, you know, you're doing that I'm really trying to do is directly connect the producer with the consumer and cut out all those middlemen. Because I kind of had a conversation with a friend of mine the other day, you know, when you have a big faceless corporation that's that's basically kind of strip mining wealth and exporting it overseas. Okay. They'll recall a half a million pounds of meat, and pay a fine. 
And yeah, it's national news for a couple days because they made a couple people sick. But you make somebody sick, like that could really shut your business down. And, you know, why don't we have better productions as producers when we're trying to do things as good as we can? Anyway, uh, we'll, we'll lighten it back up. You've been talking about your membership. So where can people go? To find out more information about that before we get too much further down the rabbit hole. Hi, uh, yeah, just markygardfamily.com, M-A-R-K-E-G-A-R-D family.com. Okay. And yeah, currently we have currently we have a wait list. So um, you know, you gotta kind of join the wait list and and um we'll let you know when we open it back up again. It it might be about to get a little bit longer. <laughs> Yeah. So obviously you have cows you've talked about. Have you mentioned that you have chickens and pigs? Um, do you have any other species out there that you graze with? Um, yeah, we do uh, grass-fed um, sheep as well and uh, grass-fed lamb. Um, our flock of sheep is currently um, working. They're put to work on um, an organic farm down the road. And so they graze the cover crop and uh, the farmer uh, is on a sort of rotation with his crop. So he'll uh, put a certain section of his farmland into into pasture for the year just um, to fertilize the soil. Um, so that's, that's been a great, a great partnership that we can, uh, get the sheep off of our grass and, and grazing his lush, uh, beautiful cover crops and they can get fat and, uh, he can get, get the fertility. So, you know, there's no money exchanged or anything like that. It's just a great, a great, um, partnership relationship that, you know, another relationship that we have with another local farmer you know, you've got a land base that you can use and he's mm-hmm. getting the benefit of the fertility and you're saving yeah. your grass for your cows. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So that farm is called blue house farm. They also sell at a lot of the same farmer's markets that we sell at. I think that's really, I think that's kind of an important point that you don't have to do all of it yourself. You can work right. with partners like that to a mutually beneficial arrangement and not be in competition. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you said your, your kids were involved. Let's talk about your kids. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we have four kids and, um, you know, the youngest is uh, 11 and the oldest is 19. Um, and yeah, like just yesterday, uh, they were all, (laughs) they were all on horseback helping us, um, sort of do a difficult cattle move through, through rough terrain and, you know, where we had to say, okay, you got to watch out because, you know, these ravines are going to come right up on you. And, uh, so, you know, you got to be, be paying attention and you got to be in tune with your horse. And, um, so, you know, it's, it's really cool to watch them work and watch them be independent. Cause it used to be like, okay, you know, you know, much more of a challenge to get them to, um, be able to, I mean, you know, they're managing their horses and cattle and difficult terrain and brush and sometimes having to hop off and hop on. So it's nice that they can all just, just do that. And we can trust that they're going to, you know, do a good job and they're going to be safe. And, um, 
So yeah, I mean, they're, they're all great. They all do a lot with horses. Um, and you know, they've, they, they rode, you know, they've ridden bareback, um, you know, when they were little a lot and, uh, they also do this sport called horse vaulting. So they, you know, oh, they're, yeah. really in tune. they're really in tune with the animal, uh, which is, which is amazing, um, to watch that and how that sort of, um, how they're in tune with their body and the rhythm of the horse and, you know, their strength and their balance and how that sport has really helped them on, on the ranch. It's like, I mean, they love the sport and they're really competitive, but it's also sort of been great training, like <laughs> a rancher boot camp that, you know, especially in COVID, they, you know, they've really trained hard with their, their horse vaulting. And I mean, it's, it's incredible how strong they are and how in tune to their bodies and just, in the moment because that's what you need when you're out oh, yeah. there and when you're working cattle in a corral it's like you need people to be on it <laughs> right yeah. you need to be you know to to read the body language of the animals and you know to to be on their horse and and predict where where the cattle are going to be and where they're going to move and so um yeah it's really fun working with the kids and um i'm just looking forward to summer because mm-hmm. then we won't have to cool. <laughs> work around their school schedule. I'm already like putting things on the calendar. Like, okay, well, let's see. They're off of school this week. So the following week, they're going to go up to Jenner with us and camp out because we need to work all the cattle and, you know, we need those extra hands. <laughs> so I'm just kind of counting the days till they're they're out of school. Are they doing? <laughs> Which is the opposite of a lot yeah. of parents. And they're like, yeah. oh, God. God, when's summer gonna be over? I need my kids out of here and back to school. <laughs> are they doing in homeschool or are they doing in class school now? Or they're a hybrid. They're a hybrid. Hybrid. Okay. Yeah. Since we're sort of a, a anomaly in the area, we've we've uh, gotten away with um, them. We you know we're at, in a real kind of a small small town school. Um, a lot of their classmates are. Uh, children of farm workers. So, um, you know, we're really involved with the community and the school and, uh, you know, they've worked with us in a great way, like, you know, been flexible with us. Like if we need like, okay, we need some workers today. We got a difficult, uh, difficult cattle move or we got to work cattle. And so, um, you know, they've been really, the school has been really understanding and we also do some of our own homeschooling uh, independent study as well. Right. they're all in, they're all in nature school. So, and they've always been in yeah. nature school since they can walk. I so love that. Another, yeah. yeah. That's another really key uh, part to our family and our business is the grounding in nature. Yeah. I saw, I think on, I follow you on Instagram. So I saw that one of your sons is doing an enterprise. Is he still doing that with the duck eggs so that you can buy a truck? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Duck, yeah. Ducks for ducks for trucks. Well, this this is a, you know, kind of a cute little funny story. Like he's, he's the entrepreneur, like he loves to start things. And um, like, you know, he probably started that business when he was 10, 11 or something. But, you know, we'd look around, it's like, oh, where's Larry? 
and you know the constant joke is like oh he's out ducking like he just loved to go out with his ducks and like build stuff and build shelters and build like you know all these he created this whole watering system and you know was doing a bunch of research online of you know different ways to water his ducks so that he didn't have oh, wow. water and you know using power you know power tools and so he loved to do you know ducking which is just kind of building and and creating things but when it came to washing eggs every day and <laughs> putting them in cartons and making sure they were ready for market it was like he was not into that so finally we said okay Larry you got to sell your business because you're not maintaining I mean you're really good at starting it but you're not you're not maintaining it so so he didn't complain because he was kind of over the daily <laughs> daily chores. So so he sold it to his sisters for like two. Oh, how funny! Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, but he's still. I mean, he's a worker, and uh, he's probably well on his way to um, to putting you know to having a good savings for for his truck here in a couple years. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So shifting gears a little bit, one of the questions I've always had ever since I, ever since the kind of the first time I visited California, which is a couple of years ago for grass fed exchange is, you know, I saw the roads you got, y'all have to deal with out here. We use spread axle 53 foot cattle pots on long wheelbase stretched out Peterbilt's when we got to move cattle a long distance. How in the heck do you get cattle on and off? some of those small ranch, you know, some of those ranches that basically have a two lane road hacked off the side of a mountain that you can barely get down in a pickup, much less with anything more than about a 10 foot trailer. Yeah, it's true. Well, um, we, we don't, we don't raise stalkers. I mean, we have stalkers, but they're all our own stalkers. So, um, we are, you know, we're unique in that way, I don't think there's a whole lot of operations that are um, have every class of livestock because it's not the most profitable way. Uh, but that's not why we got into this business. Um, and so we um, have the cows, we have the calves, and then we raise the stalkers and we finish them um, on the range. So pretty much each ranch has its own family group <laughs> and the cows live there um and we only haul off what we harvest so the animals for the most part unless we need to you know destock or pull you know we don't have enough um land or pasture to raise uh, the heifers in a separate uh, separate group when the bulls are in uh they pretty much are our resident resident herds um so then other than did that, just, it's all gooseneck. We gooseneck everything out. So did I hear that right? That you run your yearling replacement heifers with the cows? Uh, yeah. Yeah, we, we run family groups. So like there'll be a cow with a calf on her side, a yearling on her side, and a two-year-old on her side. I mean, they're not nursing on her, but they're, they're they kind of have their own little family group. Like the, you know, when we even when we're finished, we're finished on the range and like they stick together. So the cow, you know, the last year's 
last year's calf just kind of hangs out with the mom and her new calf. I say, you say, oh yeah, there's the little family group there. So they're, they're with, you know, a lot, like we're going up to gather on, um, a ranch that we lease up uh, in Sonoma County. And yeah, the road is a one lane road. Um, it is so steep and, uh, really sketchy and, uh, we're pulling off 30 month old, um, steers that that'll be their first time in a trailer. (laughs) So they were, they were born there and that'll be the first time that uh, they leave is they'll leave there take a three hour drive, um, to the slaughterhouse and that's it. So they had a, they had a good life. And I, what does Joel Saladin say? They have a good life and one bad day. And I think that that should be our goal as, right. as livestock producers and, uh, uh, husband, husband, livestock husbandry. That should be our goal is that animal needs to have exactly one bad day in its whole life. And, you know, I, we're all active a little bit on social media, and I, I got to tell this little story. It kind of bothered me, and it'll be – it's going to be about the end of May when this comes out. We're recording it kind of kind of at the beginning. And last week, I worked caps, and we did a rope and drag in the corrals, and we used a couple sets of Nord Forks. I, I think, you know, pretty much everybody by now knows what those are. Um, and I put it on – I put it on TikTok, actually. Mm. And for two days, it didn't get any views. And this morning I went to look at it. Your video has been removed for community guidelines. Like all I was shown is we were dragging a calf, dragging a couple calves, putting the forks on, giving the two vaccines, a brand and cutting the bulls. That's it. I mean, to us, that's like, that's just everyday stuff. Well, to animal rights activists, I could see how they'd... Oh, that calf is screaming. They're killing it. They're killing it. Oh, they're throwing that metal behind its head and stretching it. Oh, that's not good. Well, I think we can all agree that when you take a newborn baby to the doctor for the first visit, no matter what you do, they're going to scream. You know, those first shots, the circumcision, if it's a boy, you know, they're going to scream. But it's necessary because we want to set them up for success later in life. And I think that's... That's something that people need to understand is, yeah, there's there's things that might not look the best on camera or might not appear the best to an outside observer. But just take a minute and let's explain what we're doing and why we do it that way. And I think, you know, having ranch days really helps. I'm not in a population dense area. So for me to get 100 people out here for a ranch tour would be just just incredible. Of course, I say that now and next weekend, (laughs) next weekend, they'll be here or something. Uh, so a couple other questions about, you know, some of these ranches, like you're talking about that place in Sonoma County with a narrow, steep road. What if you lost that lease? What if they just called you up tomorrow and said, we're pulling your lease. You got to get your cows out of here. Would you have to take everything out of there in 26 foot goosenecks? 26, 20, yeah, more like 24. <laughs> uh, that's all that will fit up there. And, um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Basically we would, we'd have to haul them down to a, um, central, you know, a, a, we'd have to borrow a neighbor's facility, um, and, and semi load them out probably from there. But well, yeah. did you have to do something like that with the fires? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We did. Yeah. We've evacuated 
with the fires. Um, and yeah, it was all, all, all goosenecks. Yep. Do you want to talk about that or is that still a little fresh and raw? Your experience I'm, with fire know, last it's, year. It's your guys's, it's your guys's podcast. Let, can, let's you know, let's talk about your experience with fire. And uh, like, <laughs> let's talk about, let's talk about wildfire experience. I've, I mean, I've dealt with it before. It's, it's no fun. Um, you know, especially trying to get livestock out and, you know, away and. So talk about that, Brian. So when was that? Was it 2016? 16. Yeah, it was 2016. Eight. So we had a wildfire come through here in 2016, but it yeah. got started on a Tuesday afternoon and it made it almost 30 miles that Tuesday, uh, our fire department, our local rural fire department backfired off of a highway and stopped it for about eight hours. But the next morning, the wind came up and switched and blew, you know, 30 miles of fire line, blew that straight out to the east. And things got ugly in a hurry. It, uh, my 7,000-acre ranch probably took less than an hour, hour and a half to burn up completely. And there were places that I had, you know, four or 5,000 pounds of the acre of, of stockpiled grass. Yeah, it, it went across and it just ripped through there and completely smoked all the trees. The worst thing for me was I didn't have any, uh, I was still 100% custom grazing operation at the time, so I didn't have any stock on the place, but they're coming in a month. They're supposed to be coming in a month. So I had, I had to rebuild a lot of fence in a hurry. Um, I had to replace almost all of my electric fence cable that year. So I graze with a lot of electric fence. That's how I you know, rotate around. I'd like to hear about how you guys uh, rotate your cattle on your, on your different properties, but I use a lot of electric fence and I've started to use a lot of poly wire and that stuff doesn't really, doesn't survive fire very well. So what, what have been some of your experiences? Um, yeah. So, you know, we've been wa- <laughs> sort of watching from a distance over the last several years as other farmers and ranchers have had to evacuate and working to sort of support them uh, from a distance and like kind of seeing what they've gone through, like, Oh my gosh. And uh, so finally in 2020, it was our turn. Right. And um, we, you know, I always sort of felt like, cause a lot of the big fires were more inland mm-hmm. uh, and I felt like, oh, we're coastal, we're a little bit more resilient, you know, we, our forests are redwoods, so, you know, they're they're more resilient to wildfire, and we get the coastal fog, so we've got more moisture. Well, that wasn't the case with the August uh, lightning complex. It was just um, widespread, and it impacted um, our ranches down here in San Mateo County, and also our ranch up in Sonoma County, we were, um, you know, basically on on wildfire watch, um, and uh, we lost a you know a, a personal property that we have in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and we evacuated over three hundred head of cattle um, to our home place, which was just outside of the evacuation zone. So at least, you know, at least that was good that we had were able to have all of our cattle or all the evacuated cattle here at our home place. You know, we were hauling in water, obviously feeding them a lot um, until we could safely bring them back. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a reality. And uh, unfortunately there's, uh, 
you know, we don't we don't see much of a solution for for this because it's just been um, decades of uh, non basically right. non-existent management um, right. of our forests and grasslands um, for the most part, and a lot of that has to do with all the public lands we have around here. So, um, you know, we're sort of surrounded by a lot of state parks, a lot of regional parks, and uh, these government organizations move very slow, and they put a lot of time and money into reports and consultations and um, bringing the experts out (laughs) to tell them what should be done, and then there's public meetings. Because you're not the expert, right? (laughs) It's almost an insult, right? Oh, it's absolutely a slap in the face. Um, so, so yeah, it's um, very challenging, uh, you know, dealing with these large government groups that basically are like in action. <laughs> like, do not they do not take action? they write reports and then maybe eventually when it's too late, (laughs) um, they'll get the funding to actually do some forest management and get grazing animals on their land, maybe a very small percentage. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Do you feel like the way that you rotationally graze kind of helped with this situation last year with the wildfire though? Like you could have been worse. Oh yeah. I mean, um, we definitely could have been way worse. Uh, you know, we did have a fire the pr- previous year come on to our ranch um, from a neighboring place that um, that started on a neighboring place that was full of brush and was not grazed. And then as soon as it hit the grasslands, it slowed down and uh, Cal Fire was able to cut a, um, a fuel a break. Line. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, grazing, grazing is like the sort of number one tool for preventing out of control wildfires. And it needs to, needs to happen on a much broader scale, um, than it is right now. Uh, the, you know, the unfortunate part is that a lot of the land, um, at one time was viable grazing operations, and you know you can see the sort of the the fence posts barely hanging on and just strands of wire here and there so you know that at one point it, it was in grazing um but it has been 15 20 25 years 30 years since um since cattle have been on these lands that the amount of money that it would take take to get these places back into operation and the hoops that you would have to jump through, you know, the barriers are too, are, they're perceived to be too big. Um, uh, yet, you know, the amount of money spent on cleanup after a fire, um, you would spend a fraction of that on fencing and water development and working with, um, working with ranchers who really need the grass. So. And by grazing and managing those forests, I'm not even going to say properly, but just a half a step better than where we are would provide so much more clean, holistically raised meat. I don't think that any of us can really wrap our heads around it. Well, and other ecosystem services like a better water, the watershed improvement, wildlife, uh, the microbes. Improving so. habitat for beavers. 
Audubon Society is more, what is it, birds? Birds, <laughs> <Friendly> yeah. <beef. laughs> yeah. You can't fool the birds. You can't fool the birds. They'll always tell you if you're not doing a good job. So if we can, can we like backtrack a little bit and, and talk some more about recovery after a fire and and any changes you had to make to how you graze that property after it was all burnt? Uh, we actually didn't have our property burnt in our grassland burnt in 2020. It came right up to the uh, border and then uh, they were able to help hold it back. So um, it came very close, close enough to the point where we'd had to evacuate. Um, but we didn't have any of our grassland burnt, fortunately. Okay. Well, I guess we can just skip that whole line of questioning. Well, what did you do, Brian? Uh, <laughs> fix fencing real quick and other than fixing fence you know it's just it's a waiting game it's yeah it's sundays and it's moisture you know you're you're waiting for waiting to get enough sunshine to warm the soil up and you're waiting to get enough moisture to to start growing some plants then you got to be careful about you know what you do grow and not grazing it too hard too fast after a fire so you know when when you start getting that regrowth it's every day, every other day at, at fairly light stock density just to keep them from overgrazing certain plants and keeping them moving and letting that grass get, get a lot of recovery. But we also got to say this, you know, the high dry plains is a totally different ranching environment than the coastal, what would you call it? Coastal hills, coastal canyons right. of California. Yeah. You know, we, we can have some, some really, really super deep soils, you know, four, five, six feet deep where we can build a lot of root mass and you guys don't have that out there on the West Coast. It's like, you know, it's an inch or two kind of on solid rock. Am I right? It depends. But, yeah. you know, the and there's also a lot different, you know, temperature and humidity cycle. And you have the cool air coming off the, you know, the cool moist air always coming off the Pacific Ocean with a lot of humidity on it. Oh. Well, and a really long growing season, which yeah. is beautiful. You know, we can we can have pretty decent growing season here if we get you know, good rain and early early sun and it, it kind of carries over late but yeah yeah so what are uh, what are some of the resources in schools that you've been to that have helped you along uh, in your ranching education that you know have taught you these regenerative principles yeah I would say First and foremost was um, my time um, immersing in nature at the Wilderness Awareness School. Uh, so I was, uh, and I, I talk about this in my book, uh, Dawn Again, Tracking the Wisdom of the Wild. It's my first book. Um, and uh, it, you know, really where I tell people they need to start is by learning how nature functions and, and immersing yourself in, in the patterns of nature. So I, um, it, through my youth, I was um, uh, mentored in wilderness survival, indigenous knowledge, and bird language and wildlife tracking. And so I think that um, if you have a grounding in, in nature um, and kind of put yourself out there, and wilderness survival is one of the best ways to do it because you you really are sort of surrendering and understanding like how you're really dependent and on every you know the plants and the animals and the water 
And it's a way to sort of heighten your awareness and your instincts. Um, and it really the requires you to immerse in your senses. Another great way is to track predators, track large predators, like sort of be on the trail of a predator, because when you track a predator, then you're tra- not only tracking that wolf or bear or mountain lion, but since they're the keystone species, they're moving everything else. So you're also tracking sort of the smallest vole and the birds and the plants because everything's uh, reacting and um, sort of in this in this dance with, uh, with one another. So, um, when predators are taken out of the landscape, you know, the, the biodiversity plummets and the, you know, this has been shown. So, um, you know, I spent a lot of time in deep wilderness areas, tracking predators, tracking large predators. So, um, I would say if anybody wants to be a rege- like a regenerative rancher, then go learn from nature <laughs> and, uh, you know, all the other stuff can come along the way. Um, you know, the things like fencing and profitability and, uh, management systems, um, you know, without a strong rooting and grounding in nature and ecology, you can't really call yourself a regenerative rancher. That's kind of, kind of a good mic drop right there. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) I love that you, you track, like when I first found that out about you, I was like, man, that is badass. Like I, I like, it's amazing. Like I'm, would scare the crap out of me to run into a huge predator but uh, what are you gonna do today oh i saw some <laughs> saw some bear tracks i'm gonna go follow him and see where he's going but uh, you know, i i totally scan what you're saying um large percent oh, large predators aren't very common out here in my part of the world um you know anecdotally i would say that you know we're within well within the range of wolves and bear uh, but pretty much all we have that is our large predators would be limited to coyotes, um, bobcats, if you'd call them large. And occasionally we have a cougar, a mountain lion. And I was fortunate enough, um, right around Christmas, we had a little snow. We found, found a set of mountain lion tracks. And it's not something I get a chance to do. And that day I had time and I tracked him for over a half a mile through the snow across several ridges and through several canyons. And it's real interesting just to see how he's moving and where he stopped and what he was looking at and what he could see along the way. And I I learned quite a bit just in that couple hours of tracking him a half of a mile. You're muted. We all do it. I'm not the only one that does it. Yeah. yeah. I know I do need to kind of wrap up here because um, I only gave myself an hour for this. Um, so if there's any other questions you might have. Okay. Well, um, I think I think we've, we've about covered. Is there anything you'd like to know from me or CK? Um, yeah. How's, uh, I mean, let's see. Let me think. Like what, uh, what's a good question? Um, I don't know what, uh, what, what are you guys most passionate about right now? Ooh, 
I'm I'm kind of st- I'm getting pretty wrapped up in this podcast and and just trying to spread more knowledge and trying to educate and get the word out there about these regenerative practices, talking to producers like yourself and trying to get these stories out and trying to motivate people to be more involved in their food, to shake mm-hmm. the hand that feeds you and to understand, understand the food production cycle. Like there's a lot more to it than just the truck backing up at Walmart and unloading stuff. I mean, that's not where eggs and eggs and flour and bread and beef come from. <laughs> you know, there's, there's so few of us these days in agriculture that we have to do a better job of telling our story. We have to connect with our consumer. And I think that that's what, that's what's, that's why I'm getting out of bed in the morning is Mm -hmm. telling those stories and, and trying to, trying to help people connect back with their food. I think mine is just creating resiliency with actual like local communities, like realizing through COVID, like just how brittle this can be. I think we all can go back to if you can be self-sufficient in your community, then you're, you're going to be setting yourself up for success. Building, building local self-sufficient, resilient communities. Yep. So You said you've got to go. Did we leave anything on the table? Any any other resources or websites or? Uh, she has a second book. I want to talk. What is your, the name of your second book? Um, yeah, my second book is uh, called Wolf Girl, and it's the young adult version of my first book. So, yep. um, if you're an adult, uh, check out Dawn again. It's uh, also available. Uh, it's available anywhere books are sold, and it's also on audio. Um, and if you have a teen or a young adult in your life that you feel would benefit from connecting with nature and uh, immerse immersion to lead to a regenerative life, um, mm-hmm. then uh, you can uh, check out Wolf Girl. So, yeah. Okay. And where can we find you on socials? Um, well, Instagram is, uh, you can look up my name, Donica Markigard, or my Instagram handle is Dawn dot again, like the name of my book, D-A-W-N dot again. Um, and I'm on Facebook that's, that's about it. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Well, we sure appreciate your time today and, uh, we won't keep you any longer. All right. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Donica. All right. Bye. Bye.